we've been going through Revelation and seeing all the many different things of how Jesus encounters us. I want to just read uh, chapter 4, probably tell about verse 6, and then we'll just kind of dive into whatever that is, right? But let's just read it straight through first. Revelation 4. Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a heavenly door open before me. And the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, Ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. Instantly I was taken into the spirit realm, and behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated upon it. His appearance was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. Surrounding the throne was a circle of green light, like an emerald rainbow. Encircling the great throne were 24 thrones with elders and glistening white garments seated upon them, each wearing a golden crown of victory. And pulsing from the throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder, and voices. And burning before the throne are seven blazing torches, which represent the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne... There was pavement like a crystal sea of glass. So, as we've been going through, we saw John is writing, and he's in the candlestick realm, you might call it. Of, and it is, it is Jesus ministering to his churches and to his body. We see him walking through clothed in, in his beautiful garments and his hair and all those wonderful things. And it shows him ministering to his churches, giving anointing and authority and with a loving, compassionate um, fervor, you would even say, with ires burning of passion. And we see this. And, it, and he writes letters to the church and he talks to his churches and he does all these things. And then suddenly in chapter 4, we transition into the throne room. And this actually, and he says, come up, come up here. I want to show you. And he goes into a new realm, a new revelation and a new place. And uh, as we talk about these things, there are words often, there are words of accommodation, Right? They're descriptions, they're pictures, they're, they're ways of helping us understand unseen realities, right? I don't know if that makes sense. It's kind of like this. You know how the Bible, the word, uh, uh, it says the hand of God was upon him, right? You ever heard that term, the hand of God? Well, was it actually God's hand, like God has a body and hand, all this stuff like that? No, it's actually a word of accommodation that helps us understand there's authority, there's power, and there's control, and that God is actually encountering somebody, right? It's God's hand. And we, often we read those things and we go, we don't think about it. Oh, yeah, his hand's on, and we move on. But if God is omnipotent, which basically means he's everywhere all the time, then 
to relegate him to having like a hand and stuff like that isn't actually quite right. But it's actually that God is in a, great, a greater realm with a greater reality. And it's so far beyond our little human minds that he goes, well, I know what they know a hand looks like. And I know what it does here. And I know how it works. And so my hand is upon them. It's a, it's a word of accommodation. And we've already been talking about that through, bless you, we've already been talking about that through Revelation of words of accommodation, that it's painting a picture of something that we probably can't even fully comprehend. But he's going, I'm going to fashion it so and, and give you these words to help you understand this. And so John is standing there and he's been shown these pictures, these images, and he's, it's showing a facet of the person of Jesus. Right? Because verse 1 of Revelation 1 says this is the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. And so we see Jesus ministering to his churches. We see Jesus uh, lovingly anointing them with uh, influence and with power. And we see these things. And so it's a facet of Jesus of, oh, that's how he thinks about us. That's how he relates to us. That's how he thinks. And so it's the revelation of Jesus. Therefore, he's going, John, I want to show you a new realm. I want you to see Jesus in a new light. So I'm going to show you the throne room. Because I want you to see him like that. And mind you, we knew Jesus on earth who had become a man, meek and mild before Jesus, or, or before man. But this is actually King Jesus now. This is actually Jesus enthroned in power with authority and lifted upon high. And so we are getting a glimpse and a picture of something that had not been seen very much. Now, Isaiah... Ezekiel, Daniel, many of the other prophets in the Old Testament actually experienced the throne room. You see, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel have really powerful throne room images. And if you go and read those, you'll see that almost, almost everything you see in Revelation, it was seen before. And so if you really want to get a good grasp on that, go read those as well. And we, we will kind of actually bounce back and forth and look at some of those things. But... What's interesting, side note, what's interesting is like, I think it was, was it Isaiah? I get Isaiah and Ezekiel messed up, but bear with me. It's either Ezekiel or Isaiah. Is that when he saw the throne, the crystal sea of glass that sounds like the floor for John actually was above Isaiah when he saw the throne. He was actually looking through it up to the throne. It was like there was a separation, Right? And then with John, that separation had been removed, and now John was actually almost eye-level with the throne. So it's just kind of an interesting little side note. of It's kind of like, it looked, it's like Jesus made that atonement, and now they were able to go fully in. But anyways, and so John is brought into this new realm. He's, and it's so hard for our little Western minds to get this. Harder for us Westerners and really hard for humans. But <laughs> think about this. He's, he's brought into this heavenly throne room. And it's not actually a location. It's a realm. Does that make sense? It's, it doesn't make sense, which is fine. But if God is omnipotent, that means he's everywhere all the time, all at once, not bound by time, knows everything all the time then how can you relegate him to a locational throne? 
if he's everywhere, right? Like, some people are like, oh, see this certain place in this certain galaxy, you know, 100 million light years away from here? That's probably heaven. How can you do that? How can you put it that far away? How can you do, like, that doesn't make any sense. Because you know what Jesus said? The kingdom is at hand. How far is at hand? How far ever I can reach. So Jesus actually said, heaven's not really far away. You can grab heaven right now. You can grasp this thing. And when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were rent. They were ripped open. It was torn. And that we were able to go into that realm that Jesus was actually saying, heaven is this close. It's at hand. You can grab it. It's not far away. It is actually a realm that now, after the DNA strand of the blood of Jesus, allows us to go into and to grasp. Is that, so is the throne actually like, oh, wait, Jesus is way seated in the throne place? Well, it says that Jesus is now on the throne of our hearts. And two verses before, in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, Jesus is standing at a door, knocking. And then suddenly, in chapter 4, a door opens, and he goes into the throne room. He's standing on the door of your heart, and he's knocking, and then suddenly when that door opens, they go into the throne room. And if Jesus... It says that Jesus is seated in heavenly places. But where is heaven? Well, if God is everywhere, then wherever God is, that's where heaven is. And so, if Jesus is actually inside of me, and he even promised, if you'll open the door, I and my Father will come in and we will feast with you, then the throne is everywhere, but it's also in you. Because if he's omnipotent and everywhere, then so is the throne. That's why I think in Ezekiel or Daniel, I can't remember. I get them so mixed up. There's too many, too many things in my mind. But where the throne is on wheels, within wheels, remember? That means it's a mobile throne. It's not stuck anywhere. It's coming to earth. Right? And so... Your, may, your brain may just be hurting right now. But that's not the, I mean, think about it. We try to understand these things. Like, let's just, if we were to stop and talk about eternity, our minds would hurt, right? Have you ever just laid there in bed at night and go, how long is eternity? <laughs> oh, I need to go to sleep. Like, it, it, because it, it hurts. And it's the same way. If God is eternal and He's omnipotent, omnipresent, and all-knowing. That hurts your brain. And that's kind of beyond us. But that's what we understand, is that Jesus was saying the kingdom is at hand. It's not far away. It is actually as close to us as anything. But it is purely just switching into a new realm. Because Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What he was saying is that realm, the reality of that realm, the authority of that realm, and the essence of that realm needs to actually overtake this one where the two become one. Is that he was saying, rip open that realm and go in, and it actually overtakes this one. It's, it manifests here. And it says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, yes? 
And you may be like, okay, so I'm 100 billion miles away. No, no, no. You are in another realm with Christ, seated with him with the power and authority now. You literally, you are there in the other heavenly realms. Because here's the thing. Heaven, in the Bible, we know of, it mentions at least three heavens, right? Because Paul said, I knew a man that was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, I didn't know if he was in the body or not in the body. Basically, it doesn't really matter. He was just glad to be there. (laughs) But it says he was caught up into the third heaven. And there's people that, different people believe different things, right? There's all sorts of different interpretations. Some people believe heaven is the first, like, air, sky, atmosphere, stuff like that. Second heaven is where the different spirit realm works. And the third is, like, where God is. I don't know. There's everybody's different idea. Whatever. That's really not what we're getting into. But... And, and some people say, oh, no, there's 10, uh, there's 10, and there's 13, and there's 17, and all this crazy stuff. I don't really know. Other than that God is just showing how much more infin- infinitely greater and wiser and out of this world than us. But, so, here we are. John, the door opens up. And it says, then suddenly after I wrote down the messages, I saw a heavenly, and in, in the Passion he calls it a portal, which basically doors are a portal into another room. So it's just different wording. Open before me. And the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, ascend into this realm. Or in other translations, it'll say, come up here. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. So, John did not simply see the things happen. He actually experienced them. Like, went there, experienced it. It wasn't like a picture or something like that. And this is what, and it says, I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. That word, after this, or can be understood as come to be, as in give birth. The Greek word for happen is genomai similar to our English word genome, and is translated three times in Romans 7, 3 through 4, as married. What he's saying is, I want to reveal to you what must happen at the birth. I want to reveal to you what happens after the marriage. I want to reveal to you what the birth marriage looks like. Right? He's going, I want to show you the throne. I want to show you this thing. Because a lot of people go, oh, ascend or come up here. Or in this one says, ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after these events or whatever. So a lot of people take that and they go, oh, well, you know, the come up here. Oh, that's the rapture. And then they go, what happens after this? It's talking about the end times. I don't actually see that working when you just read the rest of the book. Because it says, oh, come up here. Well, for the context, it was an invitation to John. It was an invitation to John. John, I want to bring you into this new realm so that you can see a new facet of me. Because this book is about me. Right? I want you to send into this new thing so that you can see what happens at the marriage. I want to show you what happens when you're married. John, come on up here. 
I don't see that as the rapture, actually. I think you have to stretch it to make that the rapture. And especially when you see what happens after that, you're like, I think you're stretching it really, really hard to make that the rapture and make this all about the end times when in reality it's showing Jesus glorified and magnified and it's awesome and it's really encouraging. And so he's saying, come on up into this realm. Come, let, let me show you. And they open the door and they go through. And it says, instantly I was taken into the spirit realm and behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated upon it. Now this is what's really interesting. And behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated upon it. According to the translating with Brian Simmons, he says the Greek tense of set in place is a current tense of being set. So not past or future, but actually he's saying essentially John was there to see the throne being set in place and someone coming and sitting upon it. So instead of him walking in on, oh, did I, did I, did I interrupt something here? You know, oh, he was on the throne. Or he was there right now, sitting there. No, he actually, come up here. I want to show you what happens after this. And he walks in and he, it all comes together. The throne is actually being set in place with the one of authority. It's, it's playing the picture out. His appearance was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. This is what's so cool. So his appearance was sparkling like crystal. Um, or jasper. Your, yours might say jasper. But jasper was um, kind of like diamonds, basically. It was basically diamonds. And so... Or it, but it was kind of like a, a, a quartz kind of like thing. It also could be understood as diamonds. Um, it's not like our jasper, their wording and stuff like that. The most common Hebrew word for jasper is yashafeth, as found in Exodus 28, which describes the last of the 12 jewels on the breastplate of Aaron, the high priest. Uh, the word yashafeth literally means polished, Jasper is recognized as a symbol of the glory of God in his splendor and brightness and beauty. So he's got, he's, his appearance shimmering, powerful, like a sparkling diamond, like quartz, just bright white, right? And then it says, and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. I can't even fully get my brain to wrap around this, but his appearance is like bright, glistening, shining, but he's glowing carnelian gemstone, right? And carnelian, carnelian, or as yours might may say, a sard or sardis, right, is a mineral, is a red mineral in color and commonly described as glassy, translucent, semi-precious gemstone. The etymological origin of carnelian comes from the Latin word cornum, used for the cornell cherry. Um, and so... Assuming it to be a cherry red in color, translucent light was glowing from the one seated on the throne. The sardis, or carnelian, stone was placed first in order upon the high priest's uh, breastplate. So this is what's interesting. You have 
the first gemstone on the, t- there's, 12, there's 12 stones for the 12 tribes on the breastplate of Aaron, the high priest. The first one is the red Cornelian, and the last one is the Sardis. And that's what's glowing from the throne. So Jesus, the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, is literally shining and glimmering. Somebody's not happy. He's the first and the last. Right? Let's, let me talk about that just a little bit more. This, so you have the, the crystal. It's the last one. It's the first one. He's the first and the last. If you look at the breastplate, right, there's, there's ten, uh, 12 gemstones for the 12 tribes. The breastplate is basically a small picture of the new Jerusalem. Think about it. It describes the new Jerusalem. It has 12 gates. Okay? The new Jerusalem has 12 gates, and they're named after the 12 sons of Jacob, right? The 12 tribes. All, they have all their names. And the new Jerusalem it has 12 gates, and they're all those things. Okay? And the breastplate has 12 gemstones, right, of all the tribes. And Jesus, it's even showing in the throne room, he's the first and he's the last. And what's really fun, and we'll get into it when we get to the New Jerusalem description, and you are the New Jerusalem because you're called the New Jerusalem, BTW. (laughs) But... There's a message in that itself. Is when we actually go through those gates, it's our process of walking our life out with Jesus. Because the first tribe, do you know what Reuben's name means? It means, behold, a son. Okay? Let's skip to the last one. Benjamin's name means the son of my right hand. So, when you go through the new Jerusalem and you go through these gates, the first step of your life of walking through with Christ is beholding him. Because when you come to Jesus and you get saved, you behold him and you go, he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the Lamb. Wow, he's my Savior. He's my Lord. You have that revelation of who he is to you. Wow, that's him to me. You're beholding him. And then after the other 11 steps of growing in the Lord, the last thing is God says to you now, behold, my son, is you realize that you are Christ to this world. You are the fulfillment of him. You are the body of Christ. That you are even, he says that you are seated in heavenly places. He's inviting you now, come sit in your heavenly place. And so we'll get into that actually when we get there, but it's kind of like a little teaser of that we see the gemstones and these things, they're painting a picture for us. Did you, uh, the, the, second, the second son, which is it Simeon? I think it's, I might be wrong on this. I think it's Simeon. His means uh, uh, to pierce my ear. And I go, oh my gosh, that's the bondservant. That's the, you pierce my ear, I'm your bondservant forever, I'm a loving, 
uh, servant that's bound to you for life, and you're marked. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because it's the marking. You are marked by the Holy Spirit. That's step two in your process. Right? So you got 10 more to go. So don't just stop with getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because that's just step two. So I thought that was really interesting. It's really, really fun. Let's go on. He's like crystal and glow. So it's like bright light and then there's shining red and then there's other colors like there's a lot of colors in the throne surrounding the throne was a circle of green light like an emerald rainbow i talked about this a little bit last week i kind of teased it a little bit and talked about it but we'll talk about it again because it's really fun and those who weren't here can hear it um surrounding the throne is a emerald green rainbow. But it's a full circle, right? And we don't know if it was uh, vertical going up and around and down below or if it was like a horizontal going this way. We don't really know. It just says that it's surrounding the whole throne. And even, well, whatever. (laughs) I'm not going to say that. But... So it's this green rainbow, and it's surrounding the throne. And we know that the rainbow resembles covenant, uh, covenantal mercy and grace from God, right? We know that the rainbow, it's a symbol of that I'll never, you know, flood the earth. But that rainbow has got the other, it's got seven colors in it, seven spirits of God. And this one's actually just a green rainbow. And it's surrounding the whole throne. As it... As it surrounds the throne, however it does, up, down, below, or over everything, or maybe it's a dome, I don't really know, you know. To understand it, we, we've got to talk about the number 42, right? So 42, known by scholars traditionally and stuff, is actually the completion of Christ being unveiled in you. Did you get that? 42 is the completion of Christ being unveiled in you. And we see 42 as a symbolic number. You see, when the Israelites were wandering through the desert, they made 42 stops. It's in numbers. They made 42 stops. And I haven't researched every single one. One day we're going to probably, well, maybe we'll get to that. Wouldn't that be fun? But the 42 stops actually reveal 42 different revelations of Christ before they went into the promised land. Jesus, in his genealogy, when you read it in Matthew, that everybody skips, is supposed to have 42 generations, right? Because it's the completion of the fullness of Christ. But in reality, when you actually read it, there's only 41. Because when Christ died on the cross, he birthed his church. Right? He birthed the 42nd generation you are the missing generation. You are the completion of the fullness of Christ. You are that 42nd generation, the fullness of the revelation of Christ. Also, Jesus ministered on earth for three and a half years. Think about it. God, the God of numbers and all the stuff that he does, 
Do you think that was just a number he came up with? He's like, you know, we were shooting to four, but we ran out of time. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Three and a half years. How many months is that? It's 42. The fullness of the revelation of Christ in you. He ministered for three and a half years, 42 months. So, you can only see, yes, you can only see a rainbow at a 42 degree angle. Yeah, it's okay, I, I googled it even myself because I didn't believe it. I go, just google it, first answer comes up. You can only see a rainbow at a 42 degree angle. So, John comes and he sees this rainbow surrounding the throne of mercy and grace and covenant. And you know what? On earth, what keeps a rainbow from being a full circle? It's the earth. It's humanity. But John, they dealt with his humanity, and now that he's in heaven and the earth and humanity is not there, it makes a complete rainbow. I believe that the rainbow is a symbol of us because we are the fullness of the revelation of Jesus completed in us because it's a 42 degree angle of him being complete. And we, we, it is a symbol of covenant and grace and mercy surrounding the throne. It's crazy. <laughs> um. You also can see it in Ezekiel 1, verse 28. Huh. Let's go on. Encircling the, great, encircling the great throne were 24 thrones with elders in glistening white garments seated upon them, each wearing a golden crown of victory, and pulsing from the throne were flashes of lightning. Crashes of thunder and voices. We won't get too distracted. So in Cirque, so you have the throne. And he's seated upon the throne. And there's glowing red passion and love and fervor that Jesus feels. It is sparkling and glistening with the, uh, uh, like a diamond's green rainbow surrounding the throne. And the, before the throne... And there's also seven torches and all the other stuff and four creatures and all the great stuff. But there's the 24 elders seated on their own thrones with crowns of victory before the throne. Now, there's, we don't really know who these 24 elders are. Some people think it's the 12 uh, uh, sons of Jacob and like maybe the 12 apostles some people think it's 24 like angels. Some people say uh, there was actually, you know, 24 prophets in the Old Testament. So it could be like the prophets or it could just be people that are given authority before the throne or something like that. We don't really know. And I don't really know how much of a difference it makes. But they're, they're seated before the throne in glistening white garments, so it's, which symbol holiness and, and uh, righteousness before them. Um, where did that go? And so we don't really know, but 
All we know is they have crowns of victory. And Jesus even said, you know, through all of his letters, he said, if you will persevere and if you will continue to be victorious, I'll give you the crown of victory. I'll give you the crown of life, right? And so he's saying these guys have their crowns of victory. And what's great is we see them later on is that they, when, we, when they begin to worship before the throne, those that are below the throne begin to worship. They bow down and they throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus and worship. Um, and pulsing from the throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder and voices, and burning before the throne are seven blazing torches, which represent the seven spirits of God. There's a lot there. So lightning, a lot of times you see lightning in the Bible. It is destroying the lies of the devil, right? It is often of judgment against the lies of what the devil is spreading. And so we see here that God is going, my throne is holy. It's full of grace and mercy and passion and love. And it destroys every lie around it. It destroys everything that comes against it. It's covered with, it's not like scary, ooh, lightning. No, it's going, no, I'm going to, I destroy everything. Every lie falls. We see that throughout the Bible, the lies. And we see uh, uh, the crashes of thunder and the voices or sounds. Exodus 19:16 and Psalm 77:18 are some things that kind of reference this. And so it's just it's it's all part of the crescendo of the glory that Jesus reveals on his throne. And burning before the throne are seven blazing torches which represent the seven spirits of God. We heard that earlier on, remember? Uh, we heard the, uh, it's talking about the, the seven spirits of God, I believe. I don't know why, they're, they're just symbols of burning fire, which resemble um, uh, purification and spreading. And I really believe that it is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. If, you know, if we can, if God can be three in one, the Holy Spirit can be seven in one, right? <laughs> And we even see in Isaiah, I think, describes, when it's, it's talking about the spirits of God, it describes seven separate activities and facets, spirit of wisdom and a spirit of this. And it's actually seven different facets of the spirit. And it, it says they, and it, it even said in this part that represent the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was pavement like a crystal sea of glass. So, what's interesting is the crystal sea of glass, I think, resembles peace and uh, peace and tranquility, and that there's, there's no ripples in this thing. There's, there's, no, there's no uneasiness. There's this, his throne is seated upon, and the foundation of uh, this whole thing is that my throne is secure, it's pure, it's clean, and it's full of peace. And, and we might talk about that a little more. There's some other things that can go with that. And so I kind of want to divert from there. I think we've been going long enough. But what I want to say is this, is that we see these pictures. And we see 
the, the gemstones, that he's the first and the last. And we see the process of us actually walking through, becoming the fullness of Jesus and him being unveiled in us. And that Jacob saw the vision of the DNA strand that went to heaven that would link us to the throne room of Jesus, that we would be able to ascend and descend with the realities and the revelation of heaven, and that all of these things are painting a picture of Jesus, the loving King, seated upon His throne, passionately in love and seeking us. And He's even saying, you are seated with me in heavenly places. This is what's crazy. The throne that you see and you're going, wow, that's crazy. Jesus says, I want you to be seated with me in heavenly places. What he's, and again, it's a word of accommodation of him saying, I want you to be seated with authority and with power and even glorified with me. Because it says that Jesus just, uh, uh, justified us and glorified us. That we actually wants us because he says he wants to behold him, behold my son and the son of my right hand, that he's calling you to be called the son of the right hand of God. Jesus is our big brother, and he's our groom. You know, all these words that help us understand who Jesus is and what God is in relation to us. The last thing I want to end with is that we saw back in verse um, 1, when it says, Come up here into this realm. That is the exact same thing when we, we see in Song of Solomon when the king is calling to the, his Shulamite bride and he says, Come with me to the mountains. Come with me to the mountains of spice. When you read Song of Solomon, it follows the exact same pattern as the book of Revelation because it's the same thing. God has been saying the same thing for 2,000 years. I want you to come up here into my realm. I want you to go away with the mountains with me. I want you to have connection in this intimacy with me. Before the lamb was slain, he was saying it in Song of Solomon. And now he's saying it again with Revelation. He's saying, come up here into my holy of holies. Come into my throne. I want you to be with me. And with the Shulamite woman, he's saying, come up to the mountains with me. I want, I want to be with you. And that is the message of Revelation. It says that this is the unveiling of Christ that he got from his father. And he's, and he's saying, come up into the throne with me. Come be intimate with me. Come, let me tell, give you revelations of the throne. Come, let me tell you what I think about you. Come, let me give you authority. Come, live a victorious life. Come, be overcomers. I'll give you thrones for those things. I'll, I mean, I'll give you crowns. Here's the thing. The ultra-spiritual people might be like, oh, I don't need a crown. I just need Jesus. Oh, come on. I want the crown of victory because when I come before Jesus, I get to throw that crown down before him in worship. Right? You want the crown of victory. That, Jesus is saying there is no thing that you can't overcome, that you can't endure, that you can't become conquerors in. There should be nothing that holds us back. There should be nothing that stops us. There should be nothing that we should say, man, it just didn't work out. Go back around the mountain. You're going you're gonna to go back around and you're going to find victory in that place. You're going to find freedom in that place. You're going to become an overcomer. And you're going to take that crown and you're going to throw it before the king in worship.
over and over and over every time we start to worship him. We throw our crowns of victory down. But I want you to remember that the message of Revelation is come up here. I want to be with you. That is the purpose. It is a call to intimacy and it is a call to connection. This idea that God is far away, this idea that he's detached from us should die because he wants this connection. And so when we worship and when we step into these realms, Jesus paid the price for us to step into the throne room. It's not just an experience that John had, but it was that Jesus is saying, I'm paving the way for all of my children to come into my throne room to experience these things and to go back to earth and release heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So, as we go through and we see these things, always remember, man, this is a call to come up here, to go to the mountains of spice with Jesus. That's what all of this is painting for you. And all of these things are different expressions, different facets of describing him to you so that you can get the biggest picture that your mind can take in by all these different words. Because, man, if you take this literally, it doesn't make any sense. Think about it. You, re- you read it, and there's a lamb on the throne. Do we worship a lamb? No, we worship Jesus. But it's a picture of his likeness at that time of meek and and surrendering but then we see the lion of judah and we see him riding on a horse and then what's really confusing is we know that the lamb is seated on the throne but the next time we see that the scroll needs to be opened a lamb takes the scroll and brings it to the one on the throne i thought there was a lamb on the throne no it's each it's understanding that each of these things are painting images for us to understand what happened what is happening and what's going to so let's just remember I, 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 like I said in the beginning I think God just wants to nuke us with his love because that's what he's saying he is knocking on the door when that is the Jewish betrothal I talked about this last time is that he says I'm knocking on the door and if you'll answer it my father and I will come in in the Jewish betrothals they would come and they would knock on the door And if she answered the door, they would give her a cup of wine and she would drink that wine and that would be officially that they are betrothed to Jesus. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on the door. Look, I'm ready to betroth you to me and make you my bride. And then in two verses later, this door opens up and he sees now that you're betrothed to me. Let's see what happens when we're married. Come up to the mountain come up into this realm. That's what he's calling us to do. So, as you go through your week, I just want you to remember and and just think on these things. A Christ-filled imagination is a wonderful thing. Right? Imagination, yeah, can be bad, but God meant it for good. And he wants us to imagine these things in the throne room. He wants to take us there. And it wants us to reveal what they mean for us. So, I just want to pray with you guys and uh, ask that these things would become part of you. Because revelation is not to be understood. If you leave this place and you just feel smarter, you've missed the point. 
It's supposed to be drawing you into a relationship, and you're supposed to be eating the scroll that it becomes part of you. You know, if we're just hearers of the word and not doers of the word, then we're, we, we're, we make a spectacle and a liar of him. So let's just pray. And as I do, I'll ask Desiree and Elaine to come up and lead us in the end. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you let us come into your throne room and that you call us into this place. God, I pray this week that everybody would be called into a deeper, more intimate, more peaceful, more empowered, and more victorious life in you in the throne room. God, I pray that you would give us revelation and transformational power upon us. Pray that you would give us dreams in the night and visions in the day and encounters with people. God, open us up. You say that the kingdom is at hand. That means you can grab it. You can take hold of it. You can eat its fruit. Jesus says, if you will overcome, then you will eat the fruit of life. And so there is a reward for walking with him. So Holy Spirit, pray that you would just fill everybody with your love, that you would begin to encounter them and break these things down, and that it would just go into them and that we would become what you're speaking of. Thank you so very much. We love you. We worship you. And we just say, Jesus be enthroned upon our lifestyles and our words and our thoughts and our actions and let us become the expression of you. In the name of Jesus, amen.